Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 386. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here with us today. I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest, Brian Luoma. Brian is the founder and CEO of CAD Sourcing, which employs over 50 people in their Philippines specialized CAD drafting office, as well as team members worldwide. And I just have to tell you, listeners, if this is your first episode listening here, my former career before I became an entrepreneur was an interior architect where I was working in AutoCAD every single day. And I can't even tell you how much, like I was just blown away when I learned what Brian did. So anyway, Brian, welcome. I am so thrilled to have you here and I can't wait to dive deeper into what you do and how you got here. Kim, thanks a lot. I'm excited to be here and uh, looking forward to our chat. Me too. So I would love if you would share with the listeners just how you got on this journey of CAD sourcing and yeah, just give us a background on how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, I grew up in Northern Minnesota and when I went to college, I knew I wanted to go out East and applied to a bunch of colleges out there and ended up at Rutgers University, graduated with a civil engineering degree and I was doing CAD 60, 70 hours a week, probably like you, when I first got out of school and then, you know, eventually was running CAD teams and became a licensed engineer and was kind of going up the corporate ladder. But, you know, my I had this itch to run my own thing and I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and 4-Hour Workweek and those type of books at the time and, and trying to figure out what's the business for me. And then I saw a post from a cousin of mine who's a civil engineer in the Philippines showing a, a project that he was working on you know as an engineer and I was impressed I was like that gas station looks just like the Exxon station that I designed uh, you know in New Jersey and I, so I reached out to him and said if I can get you projects to work on can you do the work and he uh probably didn't put a lot of thought of it and said, sure. <laughs> and uh, next thing you know, I, I put up a website and started getting orders and I was uh, sending them off to him. And I, you know, very quickly I said, well, you know what, you better hire some people. So uh, that was back in 2011. And, and, you know, at the time we had two drafters and I was still working my full-time job as a civil engineer and, and kind of doing that stereotypical entrepreneurial thing where I was you know, I was working until two, three in the morning with the drafting team in the Philippines and doing the sales and the client interaction and then doing the calls on the way into work, sneaking out at lunch and then sneaking out at, you know, at, <laughs> I, after work and, you know, doing all that yes. to tr try and get it all going. And, and next thing you know, where we're at today, and I, I know you said 50, but uh, we actually just opened our new office in Cebu, Philippines. And I think we're over 60 uh, employees now in the Philippines. And we've got another 10 here in the US. So overall, we're over 70 employees. So I'm pretty proud of that. Oh, my gosh. I have to share that, you know, I had a previous conversation on the podcast listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes with John Jonas, who's the owner of online jobs.ph. 
Mm. And this was after I had started building my own team with phenomenal people in the Philippines. And the first was my graphic designer, Kenneth. And he did such great work for me that I started referring him to clients. And I'd mentioned this during the episode. And John said to me, why did you do that? And I didn't really think about it right then. But as time has gone on, I've realized, oh my gosh, I should have kept them all to myself because he does such great work. Now, every client who I referred him to has referred him to so many other people that it's hard to find time on Kenneth's calendar to get work done. And the same has happened for another team member, Lang, who I referred her. I didn't learn my lesson the first time. I've mm-hmm. definitely learned it the second time. But I love, I mean, that's now the model, or that's what I've encouraged both of them to do. Build your company because you're making so many people over here happy that you could have a whole team working just off of happy clients that you've got over here in the States or wherever. So I love that you're doing this. Well, you know, thanks. And it's something that is personal too. You know, it wasn't just, you know, looking for the most economical option. My mom emigrated from the Philippines, you know, over 40 years ago and seeing her try and send back money as she could, you know, we didn't mm-hmm. grow up rich, but she would send back a hundred bucks, you know, here and there. And eventually as she advanced in her career and, and she got a little bit more stable in in her financial situation, we ended up sending cousins through college and they're doctors and engineers now. And, and it's a, I probably similar to many immigrant stories where there's a, a desire to help the family back in the uh, the motherland, if you will. And so that was a, a big motivator and part of the reason I was passionate about CAD sourcing and, the, and what I was trying to do is because I saw the opportunity to help my family, you know, my cousin initially, but then extending beyond that. Now we've got several family members that still work for me. And, and then, you know, I've been able to extend beyond that to, you know, now we've got 60 families that are being positively impacted by working with CAD sourcing on good paying jobs that uh, giving them the type of projects and jobs that, you know, they might not necessarily have. There aren't obviously, there aren't as many opportunities for engineering and architectural graduates in the Philippines to find those, those type of jobs. A lot of them end up going into freelance positions or call center type projects as those are maybe the best jobs that are available to graduates that, you know, that are educated and have the English speaking skills, but they want to be architects. They want to be engineers. And I'm happy that we're able to provide those type of graduates good opportunities to practice their craft. You know? Absolutely. We talked about this briefly in our pre-chat, and I just wanted to bring it up with listeners. Listeners, I am not CAD sourcing, but I have a virtual assistant job group on Facebook with almost 16,000 members. And there was a heated discussion one day about the rate that overseas people are paid as opposed to virtual assistants in the US. And there were some people that were getting upset by the amount that people wanted to pay for their virtual assistants. For example, one to three dollars an hour versus the 15 to 50 that you could pay in the US. And I had to bring up a point and it got a little bit more heated that number one, not everybody can afford to pay the rates 
requested and expected by people in the U.S. or you might be in Australia or the U.K. or anywhere else in the world but the Philippines. And I don't believe that there should ever be any shame, number one, in taking your work abroad because you do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do. And as your business grows, you can afford to pay more. But there's, you can build amazing relationships with people overseas by outsourcing and you can also be impacting so many people across the world by taking your business overseas as well. So I just wanted to put that out there because I know that sometimes there is that stigma. I mean, being in the States myself, we've seen, and I'm sure Brian, you've seen, there's so many heated discussions sometimes about hiring people from Mexico, hiring people from overseas, you know, plants or work being sent over to China. But I don't think it's always necessarily considered the greater financial and economic benefit that doing that sometimes has, because all we think about is the jobs here that it might be costing. But I don't think in the long run that it's really costing. I think it's benefiting in some way or another. It absolutely is. And and the globalization of the workforce, you know, across the world has benefited the global population immensely. I, I saw a stat a while back where I think maybe I'll get the percentages off a little bit, but it was over 50% of the world's population was living in abject poverty. In other words, less than $2 a day in the 1930s or something like that. And then since globalization's really started to happen over the last 50, 60 years, that number has reduced to, I want to say, less than 5%. And that's has a direct result in the wealthiest nations being utilized to help all the citizens of the world, if you will. Exactly. So, you know, I feel like there's great benefit to, you know, the global population. And I feel like we should be looking out to expand our impact across the world as opposed to shutting ourselves in and trying to, you know, say that we're going to not be included in this global population. I mean, a lot of what people think about when they're talking about, you know, not sending jobs overseas is that there's the assumption that employees are being treated poorly, that they're bad working conditions. And I agree that that does happen. But I, I think that now we have the opportunity with, you know, more information being out there to think about the suppliers you're using and think about the the relationships you have and how they're treating their employees. And so we try and be very open about how we treat our employees and, and what we're doing in the communities that we work so that our clients can feel proud that they're benefiting the societies that they're working in. And, you know, you probably recognize this or know this, you know, now drafting is a hot commodity, if you will. There's, uh, there's probably not enough drafters. Well, I can tell you there are not a, enough drafters in the U.S. to handle the, the projects that are happening. So in general, I can say that none of our clients are letting people go because they bring us on. They're bringing us on to supplement their existing staff and thereby do more work, get it done faster, the U.S. is always looking for ways to get projects done faster and grow the economy faster, and, and we're trying to help that and at the same time help the communities that we work in. I didn't even think about that, about the shortage of drafters. Uh, absolutely. You know, 
it's so difficult, especially in the sectors that we're working in. We work a lot in the telecom industry, land surveying, fiber optics, and you know, you see all the commercials about the arms race between Verizon and T-Mobile and Sprint to get their map all pink or blue or red or whatever their color is in those commercials. And it's, so it's an arms race to get that infrastructure up. But it's hard for these engineers to find drafters that want to draw a thousand cell towers or you know, 5,000 utility poles that are going to have a small cell antenna on it. That's just not exciting drafting work. So it's hard to find drafters that want to do that. They all want to do the boutique in Soho or the, the brand new university building uh, like you say you were working on. And they just don't want to do utility poles every day. So it's the blue collar work, if you will, of the engineering industry. And, and you know, I think just like the manufacturing jobs, although many people talk about losing those, just people, you know, there just isn't, there's a shortage of employees that want to do that type of work. And Industry has to find a way to get the work done. I never really thought about that either. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're all learning something today. We are, <laughs> definitely. The funny thing is, is that when I got out of interior architecture, like I never thought I would be looking at plans like that again. But as I've been growing into marketing and I'm an Infusionsoft certified partner, I don't know if you're familiar with Infusionsoft, sure. but yep. w when I'm building out my campaigns in there, I often laugh at myself because I'm basically building, you know, I'm drafting. Mm -hmm. I'm drafting the marketing funnel and I have to think about all these different elements. And amazingly, there's a shortage of skilled people in this industry as well. Sure. And it's highly technical. I mean, it, there's a lot of logic involved. And wow, big reflection for me looking back to my grade school years. <laughs> and I'm not going to ask how old you are, but I remember in grade school, we had to do a presidential achievement test or something like that. And there were weekly logic tests that we had to take. And it, my first ever trophy, this shows how much of a nerd I am. I won, I was like in the top 1% of the country for kids at this age level doing the logic but there was logic in the drafting there's logic in infusionsoft i mean you, mm -hmm. it's all the ifs ifs yep. and thens and i never thought about those cell maps you know being drafted somewhere to show to account for where all the towers are i mean we take it for granted sometimes that we're driving down the road and we've got reception we only think about it when we don't have reception right yep and, you know, all those cell towers and even all those utility poles, they require a plan to decide, you know, what elevation is the antenna going to be at, you know, what direction it, is it going to be pointing, how is the cabling put on that, so that it gets constructed properly. And, and it all needs to be planned out and somebody needs to draft it up, somebody needs to design it. And we're part of that process. And it's exciting work for us. And, and I can tell you that our drafters in the Philippines are overjoyed to be working on big projects like that for Fortune 500 companies that they can recognize and, and be proud to work for. And, and we have project managers here in the U.S., Florida and Texas, in uh, Seattle, and other places that help manage that work and make sure that we're coordinating it properly with our clients and making sure that they're getting what they want and, and making sure that the end products needs to be delivered. 
Brian, the pillars of positive productivity are self-care systems and support. And I can see in your business that you would need great systems and support. So how are you communicating with your contractors? And how are you making sure that, you know, there's some type of tracking and accountability and a knowing of where each project stands? Sure. You know, it's funny you say that because I tell people that our skill isn't necessarily in the drafting because the drafting we do, the types of projects we work on aren't any individual project isn't that difficult, right? We're not designing rockets. We're not designing mansions even. You know, we're doing utility poles, fiber optic lines, hundreds of miles of fiber optic lines, but fiber optic lines, land surveys, small title survey land surveys, high volume, high run rate, quick turnover projects like that, where the difficulty is in the processes and the systems. If you're doing a fast food chain, and we work for some of the largest fast food chains in the U.S., if you're working on a fast food chain, anyone can do one individual store because, you know, you're just doing, especially if it's just a branding upgrade, you're changing some signage, you're changing some uh, lighting, some paint colors, but that, so one individual store is easy. But if you're doing 20 of those a month, can you keep up with that? Can you keep track of this store is on hold, this store is a priority, these five stores need to be done next week? You know, change these five stores because we, you know, we we're changing the model for those. It comes down to communication and having a system in place that organizes all that and focuses on the process to make sure that everything's being run properly. And that's handled by our project managers here in the U.S. I think we were talking before the show about every position, you know, needs to be thought about, like, who's the right person for that task? And so for us, having a project manager in the U.S. that is familiar with that type of industry, has a, an easy relationship with our clients, can facilitate communication, because it really comes down to communication, that's key to making sure that our Philippine team is getting the job done and is not letting things fall through the cracks and is making sure templates are being updated properly. So that's really where we excel at is creating and adhering to those processes to make sure that we're doing the jobs the way they want to be done. I have to ask, how long did it take you to realize that you needed to have the project managers rather than doing it all yourself? Uh, Well, I think I knew that right away. One of the things that allowed me to have the success that I have had is realizing you know, really quick that the sooner I can get a team under me that can do the work better than I can do it even, the better off we're going to be and the better the product's going to be. So I probably hired much faster than I should have. And, and That was going to be my next question. Yeah, probably hired much faster than anyone would have suggested and hired people that were much more qualified than I deserved. But it's worked out well because then we're providing a good product and the clients are happy and that means they give you more work and, and they tell their colleagues and you get more clients based on that and somewhat self-fulfilling. I've always been a very optimistic person. I generally feel like things are going to work out. And so I've tried to look at the areas where I'm 
maybe not as good at it or you know, just generally don't want to do it. And then I find somebody to try and hire somebody that can do a better job than me at it. And so that's, I've always wanted to not be the expert at any particular task uh, in the company. That's been kind of my strategy in hiring people. So I want to hire somebody that's going to teach me how to do the position as opposed to somebody that I'm going to have to teach them how to do the position. Mm -hmm. Actually, the podcast launch was delayed by a good month just because I couldn't design a logo that I liked. <laughs> and that's how I ended up finding Kenneth in the Philippines. And he probably designs logos much better than you. Oh, <laughs> in like, I was his one of his first clients back then. I had four different logos within a day. Yeah. And the podcast launched within a week after hiring him. Yeah, And it's just gone on since then. I mean, listeners, if you go to thekimsutton.com and you click on the button in the header, if it's still there right now, or when this episode is released, he designed the whole Positive Productivity Planner, which we're hoping to release eventually when I finish with my revisions. But often we become our own bottlenecks because we're putting yep. too much on ourselves and we're not looking at those people who are better and more equipped and just faster, just like, well, everything that you already said, than we are. We slow down our own progress by getting in our own way. We have a, a phrase in our company uh, where we say, we're too small a company to be cheap. In other words, it can be more expensive to decide not to pay to have the right person in that position or to try and say, well, I'm going to do it myself than to just pay to have someone do it. Otherwise, you know, things take a lot longer. You, you end up having to do it two or three times. I didn't follow my own, own advice a while back and I bought like 10 shirts that I was going to give to the team and I bought like the cheapest ones. And when I got them, the quality was bad. The logo looked like it was going to fall off any moment. And I was like, this is so embarrassing. I can't even give this to the team. They're just like, they're, they're horrible. I wouldn't wear it myself. And that was, you know, I think I paid like 12 bucks a shirt or something like that. You know, you buy 10 of them. That's a hundred bucks that was wasted right there. And if I had just spent 15 bucks right off the bat, you know, it would have been fine and it would, would have worked out. So it's always in my mind, it's been better. Just get what you need up front and make sure that it, it's the right thing. And instead of having to redo it, try and do it right the first time. And now, that doesn't mean I always follow my own advice, but that's the theory, at least. Yes. And I did the same thing. Actually, well, not quite a year ago now, I spent three months editing my own podcast myself. And I calculated that because this was not where my focus is full time, mm -hmm. I was spending 75 hours a month editing episodes, putting wow. them up on the website. I know what my billable rate is. <laughs> I, An editor at that point, the editing team that I had been using would have cost me $350 a month. That is nowhere close to what my billable rate is if I had just outsourced it and yep. then spending 75 hours a month on my client work. Yep. And I kicked myself in the, you know what, big yep. time after that. I think a lot of young entrepreneurs make that mistake. And not to say that, hey, I was, you know, in the beginning, I was working till two, three in the morning. You've you got to put in the work. I'm not saying don't put in the work, but you got to try and be strategic about where you are putting that work. So where is your work most valuable and where are you getting 
the most for your time, especially if you got a day job or like you, you're trying to focus on other stuff. You know, you only have so much time to put towards this. So you, you want it to be as effective as possible. Right. Are you focusing on the $5 activities or are you focusing on the $500 activities? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How much time are you spending in your business right now on a weekly basis? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it pays the bills, right? So I, right. I, I probably spend, you know, it, it's a tricky question to answer because right now I'm not doing any of the project management. I'm doing a limited amount of the sales, just maybe on the, the bigger stuff. But I spend a, a ton of time on the executive stuff, you know, thinking about the next strategy, mm-hmm. strategic partnerships. I just spent a couple of weeks in the Philippines with this, you know, the new office expansion and meeting with the local university to create a partnership there to get us a pipeline of drafters, meeting with the the mayor of the, the city of Cebu to talk about strategic partnerships there. So that's the stuff that excites me and that's the stuff that I do. So if you look at that stuff, I'm working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, going to uh, executive training conferences and and other type of learning events. But the day-to-day stuff, the project management, the sales stuff, you know, less than five hours a week, probably. So Yeah, but you're spending 60 to 70 hours a week on the $10,000 activities and not on the $10 activities. Yeah. 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 Wow. How scared do you think business owners or managers, leaders in corporations, and I'm just going to use the states as an example, get when they see an employee reading four-hour work week? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's two ways to look at it, I guess. If they're providing a great work environment and they're providing opportunities for that employee to grow and maybe even impact the function of the business. I tell my employees, especially the management staff, I want them looking for opportunities to give everything they're doing to an admin person that they have assigned to them or to other staff below them. I I want them constantly looking at ways to make themselves more efficient so that they can be doing more of the higher level management stuff and and not be stuck in the day-to-day stuff. So if you're taking those type of concepts and those types of ideas out of the book, that's great. I mean, and in general, you know, we've been in business since 2011, you know, especially in the beginning, you know, I had people leave. And so I've gotten kind of used to that. And it's not something that scares me. You know, I'm all for personal growth and everything. So I I think that our systems are strong enough that we can afford to have somebody move on. And we we actually had a one of our drafters left to become a nun, and I was like, "Well, that's one calling to become that I, <laughs> to become that a that nun." I, well, I, I didn't like, see that one coming. We'll give one up to God. We could we could handle that. <laughs> wow! But we also at the beginning of the year we had grown last year from thirty to to fifty employees, and. So we're bringing on people fast and, and we're hiring a lot of people. And we kind of took a page out of the Zappos playbook and we offered about a month's pay to anyone in the office that wanted to quit. And we'd already given the entire staff a one month's bonus. We gave everyone and the staff a month's bonus at the end of the year. And we said, if, and if anyone 
has decided that, you know what, cat sourcing isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be, or they want to move, or they just, they want to change their careers, or for whatever reason, give you a, a month's bonus to leave at that time. And I know when I, I told my management staff that we were going to be doing this, there's kind of silence in the room, and my general manager kind of thought, well, you know, what happens if a third of the people leave or something like that? And I was like, well, then we didn't do our jobs. We didn't, right. you know, we didn't provide a, uh, an environment that's going to excite them and, you know, something that they want to be part of. And it's probably better that they, we know that now as opposed to dedicating three, four, five, six months to them and have them leave down the road. And we can adjust and try and change things. But I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, I was expecting two or three or four people maybe because, you know, we had grown pretty quickly. It was only one person that took us up on that offer. So I was really, that's outstanding. Just one person. So I was pretty proud of that. Brian, have you read Work the System by Sam Carpenter? Have not read that. Okay, I'm going to recommend it for your next overseas trip. Work the System by Sam Carpenter. Okay. And I don't know. I can't even tell you why I read it when I read it. I don't recall. But it was talking about the systems that are set up in the business. Actually, eventually offered incentive to any employees who suggested a system that ended up producing tangible, positive results. Hmm, Okay. I was like, huh, that's pretty amazing. Oh, I remember why. Because I I had no system in my business. And I think (laughs) one of my coaches recommended it. So we have been slowly but surely working on our standard operating procedures. Because if Lang left today, Lang, you better not leave today, please. (laughs) You know, I want to make sure that we have the whole system documented. And I, I know from the early days of my business that there were definitely setbacks. Yeah. That's one thing that I was pretty keen on, especially in the beginning. I was writing down systems for everything. I probably need to refocus on that because as I've gotten comfortable with people in certain positions, they've been there for a couple of years. They start, you know, the systems that were put in place when we were a 10-person company don't work when you're a 50-person, 60-person company. And so you're constantly updating those systems. And we've kind of organically changed the systems or gotten out of out of them. And I probably need to do a better job of documenting those so that if we do lose some of those key people, we're able to transition smoothly to the next person. You got me thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I have a lot more or a lot of you listeners thinking about it too. What is one practice that you have that you would say makes your team successful? I think the most important thing we do is that we have a core value of honesty and openness. And so we share all of our financial data with the team. We let the people know when we've had good months, when we've had poor months. And when everyone's got a clear understanding of what the numbers are and what's motivating the actions of me and the rest of the management team, everyone's able to pull together uh, more easily. So I think that's the one thing that I'm not going to say was a hard thing for me to implement, but you know, might be for other people and, and something that we did early on and, and I think is, has been a kind of a, a secret, uh, not secret, but a, uh, something that 
gives us a leg up on other people that aren't willing to be as open and honest with their staff about you know nearly everything in in the company. I share that within my own company as well. My team knows what's going on inside and I'm not hiding any of it. And I know it makes them feel better because they know that, you know, I'm not pocketing $500 an hour. (laughs) You know, this is what's going on. Yep. I think, you know, when the decision was being made to do that, the thought process was that if you do hide all the financial information from your employees, they're always going to assume worse or, or much better than you know however you want to say it than reality so i think one person told me that he you know he ran a, a food service business and and before he had become more open with his employees he asked them well how much profit do you think we make on a 10 dollar burger and you know the employees were like i don't know 4 dollars maybe and he's like this is the food industry we make about 25 cent profit on that burger you know it, if you don't tell them, they're going to assume things that are probably much worse than what is reality. So it's better that everyone knows what the actual numbers are and, and therefore you can pull together. And, and if you say, hey, look at the numbers, you know, we need to tighten our belts this quarter. They know why you're tightening your belts and because it's, you know, what the numbers say. So Absolutely. And one thing that I know is an eye-opener to team members, you know, was the expenses that are incurred by the business. Mm-hmm. While there might be, I'm just going to use an example of, while $100 may come in and a $45 contractor may be doing the work, what can often be forgotten is all the marketing expenses and just all the expenses behind the scenes that have to be paid out of that 55 that's left yep. because it's not 55 just like you were talking about with the food industry. Yep. I mean, I'm just going to use Infusionsoft for an example. I mean, that's $300 a month right away. And when you're breaking that all down, I mean, credit card fees, just everything adds up. And if you get 10 bucks at the end, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Oh, absolutely. And actually, <laughs> just by putting that out there, I had I had always felt a little bit sour when I was an interior architect working in Manhattan. I mean, I graduated from college, moved to Manhattan and was paid 32,000 a year in 2001. And I knew that they were billing me out at 120 and I was 32,000. What is that? Like 15? Uh, yeah, 15, 15, 16. Yeah. And I always felt a little bit sour until this very moment when I was just saying this, this was working in Manhattan in a 20,000 square foot office. I mean, a huge Mm -hmm. office. I don't even want to know what their monthly lease payment was on that office space. And then the servers and the office furniture and everything that went into that space. It never clicked with me until just now. Like I always just assumed that they were making $105 a month or an hour off of me. Wow. Wow. Plus the benefits and everything else. Yeah, you, you include the benefits, s- the insurance, the you know the the office space, the computer license, the computers, the, the whining and dying, <laughs> dining with the clients that yep, needed to come yep. in and pay the bills. Yep. I'm so embarrassed to say that it's been what year are we in? 2018. It's been 16 years of being a little bit resentful, <laughs> not resentful, but just like that was crap. You know, in just 
45 minute conversation. I feel so much better about that now. Good. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. I thought about it in terms of my own business, but it never occurred to me in the other businesses that I had worked for. I see them all in a new light. And now I'm hearing a... <laughs> sure. I'm hearing a song now. I'm, I'm feeling good. Nina Simone. I know there's other versions, but yeah, a new dawn, a new day. Wow. Yeah. It just all... It's coming together like music. I can see how it worked for them now, and I can see how it works for me. So... Yeah. Well, thank you, Brian, for that enlightenment. (laughs) Now I'm having trouble connecting my my brain to my mouth. Wow. Positive productivity is not about perfection. (laughs) What is your vision for the next year? Well, I mean, we're trying to continue. We've had a lot of growth in 2017, and we're trying to continue that in 2018. We're trying to diversify the industries that we're in. I mentioned the fast food franchises. That's been an area that kind of snuck up on us. And, you know, it's been turned out to be very fruitful for us in 2018. And so we're trying to expand upon that initial success. In 2018, it was successful in 2017. And so that's been going well. We opened up the new office and in Cebu, and we expanded our sales team. So it really, it's a pedal to the metal and, and try and succeed where we started. And, you know, this trying to continue to do good uh, in the Philippines. We didn't talk about it much about the uh, CAD giving uh, stuff that we're implementing, helping female entrepreneurs in the Philippines and students in the Philippines through scholarships and, and other things that we're doing there. So being able to leverage that to even bigger and better uh, social good in the Philippines and, and elsewhere in, in the U.S. And, and elsewhere is something that I'm hoping to continue this year and into the future. CAD giving? That's, oh, I love That's it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, I, I think that having a story around what you're doing yeah. helps the team get behind it. So we branded our charitable stuff that we do. We branded it CAD Giving. So now they expect we're going to do a quarterly CAD Giving event. And we have periodic uh, microloans that we do to female entrepreneurs that we have branded as as CAD Giving efforts. And so it's become this branded thing within the company and and it's become something that has become part of our identity and the I think it really helps motivate the employees and make them feel like it's something that they're doing and you know we've had company outings where we volunteered at retirement homes to bring food and and companionship to maybe others that don't have it orphanages and centers for street children and We've really tried to make that part of our identity. And part of that was saying, you know, we're going to call it CAD giving. And I think it's worked out well. You've just inspired me. (laughs) I want to figure out what my version of that is and will be. So thank you. Well, thank you. This has been wonderful. I I wasn't sure what to expect, but this has been amazing. And so thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. And I never know what to expect. Yes, I'm (laughs) the host of the podcast, but I never know where the conversation is going to go. Two weeks ago, I was crying on mute because somebody was just like touching my heartstrings so much. Yeah. 
I love where every conversation goes. I just never know where it's going to go. I've learned actually, no matter how tired I might be on any given day, today is not one of those days, but no matter how tired or how stressed I am, I will do my best not to cancel a recording because there is just something always that inspires me or I know will inspire the listeners. And I know you've done both on our chat here today. So thank you so much. Well, that's great. And thank you for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. Where can listeners learn more about CAD sourcing and CAD giving and get involved in some way? Well, it's it's cadsourcing.com, and there's a, a link on there for our CAD giving uh, initiatives and some of the stuff we do. I, I do need to update it with the most recent stuff. My email is brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at cadsourcing.com. So I welcome any of your listeners that want to learn more about what we do or, or the CAD giving initiatives and how maybe they can Im- implement it in their own companies. Those are great conversations to have. So uh, yeah, reach out to me. Amazing. Listeners, CAD sourcing, in case you're driving, I mean, it sound, it's spelled just how it sounds, but if you're driving and you just want to click a link when you are in a safe spot, preferably at home on your computer or smartphone, not driving, you can go to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP386. Brian, thank you so much again. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? I think doing good is good for business. I've seen that implementing the CAD giving initiatives and and really getting the team to rally around that has been a huge success for our company. So I, I would suggest that for all of your employees, or not employees, but all of your listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.